0: Hi there, I am your host Marlene McConnell and welcome to the Surviving Trauma Stories of Hope podcast. In this week's episode, I am happy to welcome the brilliant David Greenwald to the podcast. David is a certified health coach, fitness expert, author, husband, father, former police officer, gym owner, competitive state level, bodybuilder and powerlifter. In 1997, at age 32 and a body weight of 235 pounds, David discovered an evidence-based approach for getting off his 50 excess pounds, keeping it off for 25 years and counting. Since 1997, through his company, Leanest Lifestyle University, David has been helping student members from every walk of life lose excess fat, keep muscle, and manage this crazy life. This episode discusses the obesity epidemic, possible solutions, eat less, exercise more, calories in and calories out. We also talk about the lack of willpower, food addiction, nutrition, how to keep our self-promises and stay on track, getting started, the link and the link between ultra-processed food and mental health. It has been a pleasure to have David join me and my listeners. I know you will enjoy this episode because it is incredibly informative. Thank you to all my listeners for joining me on this journey. Comment on the post on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. Also head over to Amazon.com or TechLot.com and get your copy of my book, Ray of Light and please leave me a rating and review. It would mean the world to me. Also, please check out my website and download your free journal prompt and relaxing meditation on the resources page. As always, stay tuned and keep listening. Hi, David. Welcome to Surviving Trauma Stories of Hope. It's so nice to have you here. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. It's such an awesome topic that we are going to address today and that we're going to discuss. I'm so excited about it. Let's uh, start just with some background. You have a background in fitness. You're an ex-police officer, but do you want to share a bit more about yourself with the audience?
1: Sure, sure. So yeah, for whatever reason, something in my DNA has always had an interest in fitness. I remember in grade school, even being, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, and there was this President's Council on Physical Fitness Award you could win. And you had to throw a baseball a certain distance and broad jump a certain distance and run, you know, a distance in a certain time. And I don't know why, but I wanted that award. I mean, I have no idea, but there was just something in me. And so I still have the certificate and the little patch they gave you and all that, you know, from from way back then. But You know, so I've always had this interest, but in my uh, kind of senior year of high school, I got involved uh, with uh, kind of a local mentor and got involved in kind of training for bodybuilding. And so I did bodybuilding and powerlifting for a number of years. Um, I was a police officer then. I was running uh, a different fitness company then. And I, I, not to get into it all, but I started it from a little tiny room in my home. And I hoped that I could make just enough money to pay for my vitamins and minerals (laughs) (laughs) you know, just have enough profit to pay for my own vitamins and minerals. And lo and behold, while I was a, while I was a police officer running this little before the internet, no internet, then, you know, kind of side gig. I, um, built that thing into almost 7 million in revenue and 45 employees over the next five or six years. I mean, I was as surprised as anybody, trust me. Wow. And I only say that because because of that, I ended up with tens of thousands of customers, and they knew I was involved in bodybuilding and powerlifting. And I had gained weight, gotten lean, gained weight, gotten lean for power, you know, for powerlifting and that. And it was the early days of the internet, and people were emailing me, "Hey, Dave, can you tell me how I can get off thirty pounds and keep it off? You know, can you tell me how I can lose fifty pounds and keep it off? Whatever." And oh, of wow. course, it's always said like it's just, it's no big deal, just real quick. You know, if you get yes. a chance, you know. If you could, and in the early, especially the early days of email, it's like if you just email me the answer real quick, you know. Well, I, I wanted to, I wanted to help them, and I gave answers that you know were good, solid, but they're short. They're not enough. They, I knew early on, I was doing them a disservice. So this is around 1998. So I'd been a police officer for about 10 years by then, and um, I'm running this company. It's doing quite well. And I said, you know what? I have so much more in me to give. I'm so passionate about wanting to help people get to the healthier place. So I wrote almost a 500 page book. Created. I was an early adopter of the internet. I created this online environment uh, so we could have this amazing two way communication with people in the health and fitness space. Um, And so I've been running uh, Leanest Lifestyle University since 1999, virtually. Um, so we've been helping people virtually for 23 years now and, um, still just as passionate today, which I I know it's not hard for people to kind of hear in my voice. It's just so natural. I just really get, I really am just so, um, enthusiastic about being able to help people in this space who are looking to, you know, you know, get from some where they are to someplace healthier and better. So here I am married, three grown kids little Maltese dog that we love to death and um, just loving life.
0: (laughs) What's the little guy's name? Scoop.
1: Scoop, like a (laughs) scoop of ice cream. (laughs) Yeah. He's just a a little white nine pound Maltese of just, uh, you know, sheer love and terror, you
0: know. (laughs) Yeah. Lovely. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. So you started this lifestyle university and um, helping people in the early days. I mean, what was the the uptake like? Because this was before we had internet. I mean, now we are used to everything is online. Yeah. You get on Instagram, right. you know, you see the ad. But what right. was it like starting all of this uh, to the full capacity that you did in those early days?
1: It's a really interesting question. So I built and wrote, I did all the coding that built the the initial website back then. Um, just coding was crazy. It's still expensive, but it was crazy expensive then. And, and no one could see in my head what I wanted it to be. So I thought I'm going to have to build this myself. So I learned coding. And this was back when there was still dial up, no fast internet, no high speed internet. It was all like just dial-up? modem dial up. Yeah, it it, had to, it screeched. It it dialed through the phone and screeched and made all kinds of noise, and you couldn't be on the phone in your home and be on the internet at the same time, you know. Yes. And you know, <laughs> here I am. So I'm a police officer still, and I'm building this thing, and I'm 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 doing this, and, and I'm getting disconnected, and you know, I mean, just oh, it was just it was crazy to think about, you know, what we were doing back then. But anyway. I was just really enthusiastic about it because it was the first time we really had a way for two-way communication. So here I'd written this book, but as an author, how can you really have interaction with people who might read it prior to the internet? Really tough. I mean, unless you're in person or somebody would send you what we call snail mail now, you know, I mean, unless they had that, it was tough. Well, when the internet came, yeah, people could read my book and say, hey, Dave, I read this, but I have a question about this. Or, hey, Dave, I read this and whatever. I have a thought about this or I disagree with this or whatever it may be. We could talk about it. And uh, so it was really, it it was really, really something. I, I know that we were one of the very first to ever put, you know, a health and fitness site on the internet back then. And it's been amazing. And I've met so many people that I never in a million years would have ever met had we not had this amazing invention.
0: That's wonderful. That is so amazing. And I mean, you know, they they also became your clients. And it's interesting how you say that they all were saying they were sending you these emails after they're reading um your book and saying, Oh, Dave, I, I need to just quickly do this. Can you can you answer this to me? Yeah. But if we look at right. all of this like on the broader scale, there is you know, a, a serious problem that we experience in most countries in the world, and that is obesity. And if we think about, you know, yes. like, you know, this quick fix, I have to wonder, you know, sort of, yes, we have the answer for it, we've developed that, but what what is driving this obesity epidemic, you know, in the world? and And, and what do we do about it?
1: That's a, it's a great question. And it's one that I think about all the time and, so, um, and study it every day and work with clients who are suffering from the consequences of what's going on every day. So in our modern society, especially in the United States, but in developed nations, and the United States, from all I know, does lead the developed nations in the problem of obesity. We have the highest obesity rate. Um, in 1970, in the United States, our obesity rate was Fifteen percent of the adults. It's now forty-three percent. By twenty thirty, they're anticipating it's going to be fifty percent in the United States. Wow! So we are, we do not have a handle on this. All of the public health initiatives, all of the high-level health education um, that has come come about from government, from at top educators, all the programs that are out there, it has not addressed this incredibly obesogenic and I'll explain that word but this incredibly obesogenic society that we're living in and by obesogenic I'm just referring to all of the factors that contribute to the behaviors that lead to obesity and these can be external factors these can be internal factors within us but there are so many of them and they're underappreciated underrecognized underdiscussed and people have a notion to some degree that because they've been told this over and over and over that it's all things in moderation calories in calories out just eat less and exercise more right but the reality is that while there while there is a math to this there is energy input energy output energy you know energy expenditure energy intake and we can predict with some decent accuracy if i know the gender of the person, the age of the person, the height and weight of the person currently, um, general general daily activity, I can predict within you know a few hundred calories what it's going to take for you to gain weight, stay the same, or lose or lose fat. Right, and we can do that over a, or if we evaluate a three to six week period, I could predict pretty accurately if you were able to do those things consistently. I can tell you kind of where you're going to be. So there is a really important factor of calories. So when someone says I'm not going to say calories in, calories out uh, from the math perspective is wrong. Um, it's not. I say it this way. Calories are king, but they're not the only thing. There's a lot more to this. We can't just say eat less and exercise more. I could scream from the tallest building in your city, eat less and exercise more from a bullhorn, and no one's going to change. That's right. They're all going to look up and say, yeah, I know. I've known it you know, for 30 years, or I've known it for whatever. I, I know, but how do I do it? And so what's going on with obesity was the question, what's 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 driving it? The single greatest factor driving it are all factors that contribute to the overconsumption of ultra-processed food. And there's a number of factors that do that. Number of fast food restaurants, their location, easy access, ex- inexpensive, number of convenience marts, what's in there, 24-7 access to all of us. We didn't. Hundreds of years ago, we didn't have this. Even decades ago, we didn't have 24-7 access, you know?
0: That's right.
1: You know, it's just, it's a really new phenomenon. We are biologically hardwired to be driven toward calorie-dense edibles and drinkables because that's what kept us alive during all the periods where there was famine, kept us alive when there were uh, many periods where food wasn't plentiful. We were driven to the calorie-dense, let's stock up our body says, yes, we know what to do with this. We'll store the we'll store the fat and we'll be ready just in case food isn't around for several days or whatever it may be. Well, that's not the case now. We have so many opportunities to eat and it's such a part of our woven into our social culture and environment. And all of these things are obesogenic factors. We've got more opportunities for less activity now. That's an obesogenic factor. We have the opportunity right. to physically work less, kind of a, you know, a more generalized, of course, there are people work very hard physically, but generalized, we have much more opportunity to, to physically work less now. And, you know, other obesogenic factors include just parental and guardian modeling. The obesity rate for kids is staggering now. Diabetes in kids didn't used to be a thing. It didn't, almost didn't exist. And now it's becoming quite prevalent, you know, in children. And so, the parents are trying their best. I've got three grown kids now, but I remember when our kids were little, and we work with with people every day who have small children, and navigating this environment themselves while trying to feed their kids is is really really difficult until they get an understanding of all that's going into this um, and all that's contributing to this overconsumption of ultra processed food. Right? marketing. When was the last time you saw Brussels sprouts advertised on television?
0: I- Brussels sprouts,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Yeah.
1: You don't know. I mean, what I mean, think about. It, but, I mean, everything that's advertised on a billboard, on a sign, in a magazine, on television, or the internet, or wherever it is, it is. It's all junk. It's all ultra processed food. It's you know, um and so and it's also you've got cute. all of those factors. I think. It, Say that again. Uh,
0: I'm saying and it's also cute, you know, the way that they advertise is the it's also cute advertising. And you know, if you go up to a Chick-fil-A, you don't just get French fries, you get waffle French fries. I mean, who doesn't yeah. want the waffle French fry? So, you know, there's it's this sexy. creativity it is. in the marketing that right. Yeah.
1: It really is. And then you've got incredibly smart people in the in the food science world that work for fast food big food whoever who, who their their purpose is to find the bliss point as it's called of whatever they've produced and that bliss point is that perfect combination of not only sugar salt and fat but also what whatever industrial additives need to be added for flavoring mouthfeel taste texture that gets us to go wow that's amazing. Yeah, I definitely want to remember that. So we get the dopamine hit and our brain goes, I want to remember that. I definitely want to have that again. And from a business perspective, from a profit perspective, that makes perfect sense. It's yeah. get repeat buyers. But the way I have to phrase it is repeat users, not even consumers. Yes, Because we start to become and can become users of ultra processed food and that's that's one of the it's one of the key obesogenic factors that is underappreciated is the fact that one of the obesogenic factors is that ultra processed food in and of itself can be addictive and then that becomes an obesogenic factor because now we aren't just talking about something that we just rationally make a choice to consume or not consume we become or to some degree, in a larger percentage of people than is appreciated, we can become hooked. Yeah. So all of these factors are, you know, important in in trying to figure out, you know, what are we up against? What are we really facing here? You know, and what's really driving within us the behaviors that really just don't feel and seem rational when we look at, you know... I know that I'm experiencing these negative consequences, yet I still engage, you know, in this behavior, and that's where you, some of these things uh, can become compulsive in that way, and that it's irrational, and we're doing it despite negative consequences. And um, a lot of people are aware of that. Some people aren't aware, you know, but a lot of people are aware, and they're like, "Gosh, even though I know, I just can't seem to stop." Part of that reason is the addictive aspect. That comes in that kind of helps really clear up what is observed as irrational, even to the person they go i don't they think they're weak, they think they have low willpower, they think they have something wrong with them a lot of times they think that you know they've tried so many things and they haven't been successful, they've tried the all things in moderation. what I say is all things in moderation, including moderation, you know it depends on the person, it depends on what it is. Sometimes, and I'm not talking across the board here, sometimes zero is better than one.
0: I agree. And David, I mean, do you also think, I mean, we talk about willpower, but I'm also, my mind is going to leading by example. If we talk about families, we spoke about kids. If we're saying that we're questioning the willpower and we look at all of these factors that you've just mentioned in the adults. Leading by example, it perpetuates the problem because the kids will just automatically follow in that footsteps because that's what they know.
1: Yes, yes. Right?
0: How do you deal in your business with breaking that cycle? Yeah.
1: Starts with the parents. It starts with the guardian or the parents. We do everything we can to um, help. The parent guardian do what they want to do, which is get healthier, get to a healthier place, live healthier, lead by example. They want to lead by example. They want to give their kids be a good role model for their kids. Um, some a lot of them are confused at first. They underestimate because it's all things in moderation. That's the message. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against moderation. I just want to make the just making the point that each person is going to have a need for some uniqueness in their plan and. And perhaps a level of adapting where maybe certain things aren't available in the home for the adult. Right. Maybe they can be available at a restaurant, and you're fine. But if you have it in the home, it's overeaten. Maybe this there's all kinds of factors that go into it. Um, maybe it's a specific type of ultra processed food. Maybe it's a time of day. Maybe it's a social situation. Maybe it, whatever the situation is, we may need to come up with a plan that helps them to i'm going to say quote unquote abstain from that trigger situation the trigger environment the trigger food so that they can so they can navigate that so as far as the lead by example it's so critical because you know now that my kids are all grown 28 to 33 years of age I get to say looking back on it that they hear us but they see us and what they see us do even though they may just respectfully not say anything, depends. They do see what we're doing and that means a lot to them. So um, we just have to do what we can. I'm not trying to put, I don't want to put more guilt and blame and pressure on parents, but as the, as the parents lead, there's a greater likelihood that the children are going to follow. And it's not about perfect. It's about, you know, making progress in the area of where we want to increase real food and decrease ultra-processed food.
0: Okay. So some people would say, I feel sluggish. I feel really um, overwhelmed. You know, I have all of these things going on in my day. You know, work is getting me down. You know, I come home, it's kids, it's, you know, all the daily grunt stuff right. just gets too much. From my personal experience, I know that exercise is something that really lifts your, your mood from all of the different endorphins that are released within your body that is something that can help. I know that, you know, uh, stretching is yes. something that can alleviate back pain, ankle pain, wrist pain that, you know, it was in your body and it can help you age more gracefully. But for some people, they have a mental block about exercise or even stretching or anything of the kind, even if they have to do it from the television being prompted in the safety and comfort of their home. So how would you advise someone like that and tempt them to lean more into an active lifestyle?
1: It's a great question. We, we can't force anyone to have, I'll say a strong enough why to want to do some of the basic things. And if not, then whatever they can do is, is what they can do. I'm going, we're, you know, we're going to try to increase just general daily activity, just walk, just do something that's not sitting based, you know, um, but as we can, Mm -hmm. yes, we, you know, your body can be all the gym you need, especially in the beginning. You know, you don't need equipment to get an incredible workout and a short, and when I say incredible, it doesn't have to be you know, just sweat pouring off you, but I just mean a good workout and it can be sweat pouring off. You're you in a, literally laying in a puddle of sweat when you're done with nothing but your body being used as the exercise vehicle. Um, yeah. but it can also be quite moderate where you are moving and it can take five minutes and it doesn't have to be some, it's gotta be at least 30 minutes or it's a waste. That's not true. Um, movement, you know, can be, can be movement in, in, in good. So, we want them to start wherever they are and incrementally try to just take the next step, whatever, whatever that may be. It may be as simple as if someone has, if they're in a particular neighborhood where this makes sense, you know, walking around the block once a day. It can be, um, you know, just doing five on-your-knees push-ups. You know, you don't, it doesn't have to be five lean against a wall push-ups. You have begun a strength training at that point. And the other thing I'd say is, one of the things I like to do is people, a lot of times, and often many years ago, unbeknownst to them, they'd kind of gotten into the habit of breaking self-promises in this area. I'm not saying, you know, there are areas, and this isn't about a character moral thing. It's just years ago, they had said, I'm going to do this. And then that promise didn't hold up, you know, like, oh, it fell down, you know, it fell apart the next day or yeah. whatever happened. and. What happened, what a lot of times happens is that habit of saying, making a promise to yourself and breaking that promise in the health and fitness space becomes a habit. So I'm a huge fan of making a, I, I, I say it this way, let's make a deal with the universe. And this is just how I think about it. You know, you're making a self promise, but it's, I think I say, make a deal with the universe where it's something so incredibly small. And I say to people, no, 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 think smaller. Okay, I'm going to do whatever for seven days. Oh my gosh, you know, don't, that's way too big. Go smaller. Okay, I'm going to exercise today for an hour and a half. Oh my gosh, that's way too big. Go smaller. You know, I'm going to exercise today for 30 minutes and I'm going to, oh, that's big. Okay, (laughs) can you go smaller? Like, geez, Dave, you know, what do you want me to do? I was like, get small, but I want you to make a promise to yourself that you're going to do it. And I want you to feel 95 to 100% confident that you will do it. Okay, I want it so small. That in your crazy, busy life, you're like, oh, well, I can do that. I mean, and it can be as simple as you could take your, say you've got tennis shoes that you exercise in or whatever, take your tennis shoes and put them where you might put them on. I don't know. Take your workout clothes and lay them out. You don't even have to put them on. Just lay them out, you know? Um, Some people will say, I'll say, you know, if they don't belong to a gym, if they do, I will go to the gym, but I make no promises that I'm going to work out. Great. Perfect. Awesome. But the idea is, or when it comes to nutrition, we might say, you know, I will eat one baby carrot in the next hour. Great. Yeah. You know, if you say, depending on the person, their situation, circumstance, you say, what's your confidence level that you can eat one? You'll, and I don't come up with it. They come up with it. You know, and I was like, what's your confidence that you're going to eat that baby carrot in the next hour? Like, I'm going to go do it right now. Great. Promise made, promise kept. And the deal is the way you make this deal so you don't, you don't bait and switch yourself is if you eat the baby carrot, one, if you just set the tennis shoes over by the door, whatever it is, super small, if you do that, you get credit for it and you're not obligated to do anything else. You don't have to do anything else. You've made that promise for the day. you kept that promise. And what can happen is that habit of making a promise, keeping a promise can get stronger and stronger and stronger. And what often happens is, obviously if we're being honest here is, Like for me, I have said, I've been training for 40 years. I have said to myself, "Ugh, you know, I do not feel like going to the gym today. I really don't. But I'm not hurt. I think we all have done that at
0: some point. Yeah. David.
1: I'm not hurt. I'm not sick. I'm not, there's nothing (laughs) wrong with me. I just don't feel, you know, uh, but I should do it today. I really should. It's a good day to do it. And I will say, I'm going to go in and I will... I, I, I promise 10 minutes of something. That's me because I've been doing this for 40 years. I, I promise 10 minutes of something. Things like that, what can often happen is because it is the start that stops most people. Oh, I've, I've already made the effort to get here. Now I'm here. Now I start in. And now I'm like, oh, okay. I actually feel pretty good now. And it isn't always that way. Sometimes yeah. it's like eh, 15 minutes and... I'm leaving. I said I could leave and I'm leaving. But rarely has that been the case. And most times when you put the shoes there and you eat the baby carrot, one, even though it's really small, it reinforces the make a promise, keep a promise to yourself, which is so important to people. And it starts to... And that feels good. And when that feels good, we a lot of times start to do a few more things that are in that area. And we haven't even... If somebody wants to lose, say, thirty pounds, they haven't lost a pound from doing that. They haven't lost anything from doing that, but it feels better. And then we start to honor ourselves in other ways where that feels better, and it can it can just start to build. But yeah. really, take the pressure off yourself. Start really small. Start so small that you're ninety five to one hundred percent confident, and then get let yourself off the hook. If you do that, you don't have to do anything else. And I just think that's a great way to start on keeping self promises and. Um, kind of reversing what has probably become the opposite.
0: That is so awesome. And it completely resonates with me because when you want to start something new, it's always so challenging because sometimes you don't know where to start. Sometimes you go to the gym and you have no idea where to start or what to do. But I love that you know you break it down into all of these small bits that eventually, when you get to that space where you do yeah. the exercise, you feel accomplished, yes. even if it is something small. That's really good for your self-worth, because you feel like, you know, you feel worthy. I've done this. Yes. I feel accomplished today, which is amazing. And I think, you know, when you do that, it it, it also helps with changing your mindset. Because if today I feel like that, I might crave and I might want to feel that again in a day or two days' time. Yes. So it's it's wonderful. Thank you, David. Yes. Yeah. So there's something that for me always in my personal experience has always come up, and that is the link between mental health and exercise. You know, I used to always run late when i had to meet my personal trainer and we had to start our exercise program and you know after weeks of running late i would really start feeling but off balance overall and the first thing i would do is i would reach for help and given my background i would go to my psychologist and whenever i get there and i explain all of the reasons why i'm there oh i didn't get to the gym i don't understand why i'm not getting to the gym i was late again to the gym one of the first things that you know we would talk about is you have this great awareness to identify that you are depressed and when we become depressed and when we start feeling down the things that take some effort in our lives are the things that start to to slack. So that was always sort of the alarm for me. I mean, I want to know if there is a link between the food and the nutrition, the exercise that we do, and our mental health. How are these connected, David?
1: Oh, it's just, you know, you just see my guttural response is just, oh, you know, they're so connected in every single way. Um, you know, exercise is a known antidepressant, anti-anxiety stress reliever. Um, there have been research studies that have, that have shown that again, I'm not saying for everybody, but, uh, a large number of people that have a lower level of depression that exercise has been more beneficial than drugs that have been administered, so on and so forth. And I'm not saying one over the other, speak with your, your physician, psychologist, psychiatrist, obviously, but the research is very yes. clear on that. That it's an amazing antidepressant, anti-anxiety, stress-relieving, um, natural, um, amazing what it does for neurotransmitters in the brain and brain health and um, rewiring the brain and neuroplasticity and all of the science that goes into this amazing brain that can change. It can. We used to think that the brain at you know in adulthood was that was it. It was fixed. It, it, it couldn't change, but it can and it can rewire and it can get healthier. It can also get sicker, but it can get healthier if it is sick. And then when we look at, and this—that's just such a oh my gosh—it's such a an amazing avenue to follow to get better mental health is in the exercise. But I got to say, the food side is and can be as powerful. And I, I can speak from personal experience, you know, on that. I've got obviously both sides, and I've had for 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 a long time. But there was a period where. <sighs> Things we may not have been sensitive to when we were teenagers or at 20, we may become more sensitive to when we're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, whatever it may be. You go, Well, I've always been fine eating this way, and I've eaten this way from the time I was a teenager, 20, and I was always fine, but now I'm noticing something negative. And for me, what happened was my wife asked me, you know, 20 years ago, she asked me, Why are you depressed? And I was really like, Oh, you know, and I said, I don't know. And, but I knew she was right, you know, and I amazing family, wife, kids are great. Money's okay. You know, business fine, home, shelter. I mean, all the things you're like, what else do you want? You know, it wasn't like I was missing something.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: um, and I wasn't at that time working through, wasn't working through something traumatic. You know, I've had a mother that was Killed in an automobile accident when she was 53. And oh,
0: my condolences, Dave. Lived
1: through that and worked through that. And, and I don't compare in any way, shape, or form things I've had to go through compared to what other people have. I'm I consider myself incredibly blessed. But anyway, my point is, I what I didn't have that going on where you might go, why are you depressed? Well, because I just I'm in mean, grieving. You know, I'm, you know, I didn't have that. It that that wasn't it. And so I was like, I don't know. And I was eating at the time you know this was in the nineties and it, and I was eating at the time you know kind of the the low fat healthy but it was still full of chemicals and it's still full of industrial additives but I wasn't thinking about that then um I mean not a lot and I went well, let's get rid of it I mean let's eat real food i mean i, I in my head I was resistant to it I yeah. was like I shouldn't have to do this. <laughs> I'm eating, I'm eating yeah. low fat. I'm eating low fat, healthy. You know, I, you know, I get the whole, I get the whole wheat bun. <laughs> yes. I do the baked lays. I do the, you know, whatever. And, and here I am just, you know, I, I'm like, you know, I'm old enough where I can say, you know, Eeyore from Winnie the <laughs> Pooh, you know, with this black cloud following him around, you know, and, uh, always a black cloud hanging over my head. That's how I felt, you know? and. And I couldn't explain. I had no explanation. And so I kid you not, I went real food. And within three to five days, I went, oh, there's a blue sky up there. And I went, okay, okay. All right. That's not science. I'm an N of one. That doesn't doesn't prove anything, Dave. You probably just had some good things happen in your life Mm -hmm. this last week, and you're in a good mood. Okay. And I went, okay, well then go back to eating the way you were. And it wasn't full of junk. It was, quote, the healthy, low-fat, you know. And within three to four days, here's the black cloud. And I went, oh, come on. And I didn't want to do it. In my head, I'm like, I shouldn't have to do this. I never had to do this. Why do I have to, you know. And I went, all right, let's do it again. I did it six times over the course of, like, two and a half months. And I finally was like, okay, this is what it is. and. Now, knowing that, you know, and, you know, I recommend, obviously, that people give it the due consideration that it deserves, because here's the thing. The research now is really fully explaining what I was experiencing and didn't know. Ultra-processed food, the research is coming out almost daily, if not weekly, on ultra-processed food and mental health, and there's such a tremendous negative effect on and it's uh, and it just correlates. The lines just follow each other. As ultra processed food consumption goes up, mental health goes down. I should say they they're, they're opposing. You know, so one line's going down, one's down. You know, mental health going down, ultra processed food going up. And so the more that it's consumed, the more depression, the more anxiety, the more lethargy, the less, the more foggy, less uh, less sharp. Not as much mental energy, less cognition. Um, there are even uh, there's even research that shows that you know in kids and adults that the increased use of ultra processed food results in lower IQ. So there isn't a study I've seen, and I've looked at every single thing I can get my hands on for the last ten or so years. I haven't seen a single study that says that a high, the highest users of ultra processed food have a neutral. Or positive effect on mental health. It's always Mm -hmm. negative. It's just to what degree. So it's so incredibly powerful. So I can't stress enough to people. Don't minimize. Yeah. Its power. You know. um, It could be. It could be. The reason. Why you're feeling like you are. It may not be. And I, I don't like to necessarily give it a single. But it could be. The reason it's, it is that powerful. And since in the United States, 60 to 90% of what's consumed is ultra processed food. Yeah. It didn't used to be that yeah. way. You know, um, what, what we call real food today is what our great grandparents just called food.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
1: They didn't have the ultra processed foods.
0: Yeah. So, at the Leanest Lifestyle University, what what is the services that you offer for the listeners who would love to work with you?
1: Sure. So, we everything we do is is virtual in the sense that it's all you know online. There might be some on phone. People do have access to phone with me if they set an appointment. Um, but I have coaches that work with me. We are going to reach out to uh, a, you know any any student or any member that we have. At least once a week, even if they don't reach out to us and check in with them and see how they're doing. They have full access to what we call the online university, the online campus. And within that online campus is everything someone needs. There's nothing else they have to download or buy or anything. And it is going to um, help them and help us help them with regard to tracking nutrition if they want to, tracking exercise if if they want to do that. Each day, a student gets one educational lesson a day because we're very big on educating people on what's really going on nutritionally, what's what's the evidence-based framework nutritionally we want to follow. Um, again, with regard to exercise, we are not going to try to turn someone into an exercise zealot if, it, like you said, it's the last thing they want to do. We're just going to want them to try to just increase daily movement more to start. And we also yeah. are very big on finding things that, They, I always say this, you may never love exercise, but we, so we may have to just find something that you can tolerate. (laughs) You know, you're like the best it gets is I do it. I do it for my health. You know, it's like, that may be the best it gets. And if so, great. But finding things that people enjoy enough to repeat and do are things that we're going to help them do. So we're very personal at helping them do that. Finding out where they are nutritionally, having them incrementally improve, giving them the one lesson a day, providing accountability for them um, so that they have someone that cares deeply about their success and cares about them and wants, oftentimes I have to tell my coaches, remind them, we can't want it more than they do because my coaches are like, I yeah. want so-and-so, you know, so bad to just da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, I know. So there's that. And then, and then we're going to look at things beyond... Beyond nutrition and exercise, lots of places have that. We're going to look at increasing willpower, increasing, and I define willpower this way, the ability to do what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, whether you feel like it or not. And so some of these things you're not necessarily going to feel like doing. Mm -hmm. So how do we have the strength and the will and the conviction to do those things when we don't always feel like it? Well, we work with our clients to help them develop the strength in that area. We're going to look at, is there a uh, processed food addiction issue? If so, then it isn't, that's it. Everything's off limits. You can never eat anything that tastes good again. That's not it, but it's what might specifically need to be addressed there. Because if we don't address processed food addiction and it is there, then we've got a problem that is going to wreck everything else. Like, if Mm -hmm. that isn't addressed and we don't look at that, and a lot of places don't, but we do, it's going to be problematic. It's going to keep coming up because we're talking, again, about that kind of that user situation rather than a consumer making rational choices, you know? Right. And then the third leg that we're going to focus on and continue to build on is emotional fitness. And emotional fitness, kind of the way I define it quickly, is helping people feel authentically good. More often instead of regretfully good. You might feel regretfully good if you have, you know, six donuts in the moment. You, you say in that moment it felt good, but then I regretted it later. You know, people can have do retail therapy, you know, yes. they go out and shop and spend a thousand dollars they didn't have. They felt good when they did it, and they go, oh, I just buried myself in debt. So we wanna work on being more feeling more authentically good and developing the ability emotionally to manage life better so that life is still going to throw us zingers. It just is, you know, it's going to throw, it it does to all of us, you know, most days of the week, there's some kind of zinger we've got to deal with. And for some people it's really, really tough what's being thrown at them at any given time. So we help people get, grow emotionally, grow the inside so that when that thing on the end of a long, stressful day, happens instead of doing what they have done, looking for relief, escape, um, zoning out, changing their state of mind, trying to just say, "Oh, I just, I just can't. I feel like I can't handle this." We help them get better at saying, "I can handle this." Slow down just just a little bit. Just bring the temperature down just a little bit. And as they get stronger emotionally through all of the factors related to emotional fitness, the stimulus still happens, meaning the trigger or the whatever it is, right? The yeah. they had the argument with a spouse, and you're like, oh my gosh, this marriage is over. I'm gonna, you know, like, wow, you just had an argument. It's not doesn't it's not catastrophic, but it feels catastrophic, you know. And yes. that's just one, you know, one example. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, then resulting in, and I and I must soothe this with something that I eat or drink. They can put some space in there and just put a, press the pause button a little bit and find an alternative. We help them find an alternative, a coping mechanism. And with skill, it, it's it's not eye color, meaning it's not unchangeable. It can be developed. It, these are mm. skills that can be developed. Just because maybe you haven't been good at it up to this point doesn't mean you can't become good at it. And so we look at all those elements. How do we willpower, you know, possible you know, addiction things, emotional fitness, all tying into helping us to do the nutrition and exercise components more consistently. And we do that personally, meeting each person where they are, because each person that comes to us is a human. Each person that comes to us, you know, has a heart in their body and a liver, you know, you, you know, all that stuff. But all right, but what does this person, where are they in their journey versus this person? They can be two very, very different people, and we want to make sure we approach them in the way that supports where they are and what's the next step for them to get to the next the next evolution.
0: I love how you have this holistic approach, David, to you know fitness, food, and also the emotional aspect of it and i think yes. um it, it's so important even having it online um because sometimes you know i've i've come across folk that will say you know i i feel too embarrassed to be in the gym to do the exercises in front of everyone else but what you are offering is you offering that security you're saying let's do this in the comfort of your home you have one person that you are dealing with that you can speak to on the phone or via video call or whatever the communication is And, you know, we will teach you how to do this. But there's this level of accountability that I really like. You have to still check in with this person because there's a face on the other side of it. I think sometimes, you know, when it's just a voice in the darkness of the internet, it's very easy just to discard it. But when it's a real person that you have a connection with, you feel more motivated to honor that engagement and that meeting that you have. And I just love the entire concept. It's, it's, It's wonderful. So if anyone wants to, David, work with you and sign up with your team, where can they find you? And obviously I will link your website, your social media handles in the show notes below for our listeners to sign up. This obviously is available worldwide because it's online, Yes. Um. but how do they get in contact with you if anybody um, who is listening right now would love to sign up?
1: Absolutely, I'm just going to keep it simple. Everything, the social media links and everything, is all on our, uh, you know, on our website. And I would say just go to the website because they can, they could fill out a contact form if they want there. They can, they can uh, take a trial of the program at no cost to them if they want there. Um, they can uh, find the social media links, and it's lluniversity.com.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, David, for joining me and for sharing with us.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's really, really been an honor to be here.
0: You're welcome. Have a great day. Take care. You too. That wraps up this podcast episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy my podcast, please take a minute to give me a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast directory so you don't miss an episode. Please consider following My Centered Life on Facebook and Instagram for daily inspiration. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. You can catch me again in the next episode. Same time, same place. Sending you lots of love and light. Bye.